0: Well, let's jump into Luke chapter 4. We're going to look at the first 15 verses. This is the temptation of Jesus Christ. The title of my message is Tested. Tested. How many of you feel like every day you're being tested? Put your, every one of you should put your hands up because that is our life every day, we are trying to get through the week, get through the day, and we're being, it feels like we're being tested. We know what the right choice is, but we're constantly put, being put in that place between the right choice and the comfortable choice. The right choice and the comfortable choice. And do you know those two choices are essentially between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Now, I was a teenager in the, do you know when? The 70s. And I lived in Los Angeles, about, about 20 minutes from Hollywood. My mother, who took me to church every Sunday, would tell me not to be worldly, I grew up in a small Baptist church in Carson, California. And if I'd asked my mother what that meant, don't be worldly, it meant don't have long hair. And don't listen to that rock music. Well, that really didn't satisfy me at 15, 16, 17 years old. That's not really what it meant to be worldly. Worldly. Now, the generation before that was, don't go to the movies. As if you were a good Christian if you just didn't go to the movies. Or if I just didn't listen to that Led Zeppelin. But you know, uh, being a musician as a teenager, the Lord used music to actually keep me in church. Rather than take me away from church, music kept me in the church And I ended up playing in Christian music for Christian artists during the 80s, um, playing drums. And it was through that avenue that I then became a pastor. And it's amazing how the Lord, if you will just say yes to the Lord, he directs your life. Even if you're confused about the choices, fundamentally, the choice is to keep an open heart before the Lord. Can you do that? I think of even just Thanksgiving. That was a test for those who left Europe and came looking for religious freedom. Do you know the history behind Thanksgiving? We're not really people. Thanksgiving to us is a holiday where we get together and have a turkey or a big meal. Let me give you a couple of things. But there were some people, the pilgrims, who were tested. They were tested. It was in September 6th. 1620 when they set sail for a voyage that lasted two months when they landed at Plymouth Rock they held immediately a prayer service asking God for his provision his protection in this new land they built shelters our Thanksgiving comes from their celebration in the spring of 1621. Now, here's the shocker. As the colonies developed, some of them feasted and some of them fasted. Which one of those traditions do you think stuck? That's right, the better one. Our celebration of Thanksgiving is uniquely a Christian holiday. Did you know that? It's not just an American holiday. It is a Christian holiday holiday. It was in 1789, a bill was presented to President Washington to affirm a national day of thanksgiving. It declared, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly implore His protection and favor. And now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday. The 26th day of November, of that was 1789, that we may all unite to re- render unto him our sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection. Do you know that is our American history? And every time you hear of separation of church and state, remember these kinds of things. That our founding fathers were committed Christians and many of them were even ministers who signed the Declaration of Independence. The whole lesson of our passage today of Luke 4 is that we're watching Jesus, Jesus, who is our teacher, choose to con- to Do what the father had sent him to do and not give in to the temptation to take the easy way out. Now, before you say, well, was Jesus really tempted? He's tempted. It says right here at the beginning of of Luke 4 that Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Go down to verse 14, the outcome of his trusting his father. Then Jesus returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and news of him went went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Jesus was giving you and I an example. John 13:15 says he said for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Now he was tempted. And we think was he really tempted? He was the son of God. He wasn't he wasn't born into this world with a sinful nature like you and I. We are tempted and we know what that's like. But how was he really tempted? The word tempt has two meanings. One is to entice someone to do something that's wrong. We know that, that temptation all the time. That temptation is appealing to something in us, some desire to choose to go after that gratification. Now, Satan wasn't enticing or appealing to something, some carnal desire in Jesus. The second meaning of the word means to test something, to test something. Like if uh, I make furniture and (laughs) if, I've made a lot of furniture for my houses over the years. And if I'm going to make a table, bring it into my living room, and start piling stuff on it, I need to make sure that it can hold the weight of the things that I'm going to put on it. A dresser, a china cabinet. If a carpenter makes a chair, he's going to test it out. If a bridge is built, it's going to be tested before it's open to the public. And do you know that Jesus is tested, and in that testing, we're seeing what he's made of. We're seeing that he is, in fact, the Son of God, and it's amazing. It's amazing. There are three temptations that Satan brings To Jesus. And I want you to know that these are the same three temptations that he brings to you and I all the time. How many of you knew that? Have you ever heard that before? And I'm going to break down what these three temptations are. They are the same three temptations that Satan brought to Adam and Eve. In other words, Satan has no new tricks. He might surprise you, but there's basically three temptations and these three are what we might say is the world my mother couldn't explain it to me but John could and it's in first John chapter 2 verses 15 and 16. John said do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. There's three words. Are you taking notes today? Three words to go with these three temptations. The lust of the flesh is the word passion. And passion has to do with your physical desires our physical cravings. The second one is the lust of the eyes, and that has to do with what you see, and that's generally associated with possessions or seeing something that you have to have. Have you ever said to, the, to, to your friends, your spouse, hey, let's just go walk through the mall. You know, I don't really need anything, but... Let's just, go, let's just go look. And suddenly you see something that you, you didn't even know you needed it until you saw it. I know I don't really need it, but my life would really be a lot better if I could have this. And the third is the pride of life, and we generally associate that with position, with pride and position. So, if you can think of passion, possessions, and position, Satan is constantly tempting or testing you in those three three areas. Now, to be clear, it's God who has given us our physical drives, and there is a, a short list. I'm not going to list them all out for you, but d- desire for food, for several things that would just be your physical appetites or even emotional appetites. And when we're talking about the flesh, that sounds like a, such a harsh word, doesn't it? Don't serve your flesh, or that's so fleshly. And that, that use of the word in the Bible just generally talks about our nature that is serving itself apart from relationship with God, So there is a right place for our our physical and emotional drives. But apart from God, they tend to be destructive and self-serving. And when the Bible talks about being led of the spirit or led of your flesh, it talks about me being controlled by And our goal as Christians is to be yielded to and led by, controlled by the Spirit of God. And let me tell you, you can be a Christian and not led by the Spirit of God. Did you know that? You can be born again and still ruled by your flesh. That is the most miserable place to be as a Christian because you don't really want to be ruled by your flesh and yet at the same time you're struggling being completely submitted to the power of God. And you know what the Bible picture of that in the Old Testament is the children of Israel where they were delivered from slavery in Egypt a picture of salvation but they weren't in the promised land yet They were wandering around in dry places. And in fact, for 40 years, did you know they wandered in a circle? They wandered around and around in a circle until eventually the nation was at a place where they could come in and take hold of the promise of God. So, deliverance from Egypt, a picture of salvation. Crossing the Jordan into the promised land, a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The land flowing with milk and honey. Quickly, the temptation to Eve, it's there in Genesis 3, 6. Eve saw that the tree was good for food, passion, pleasant to the eyes, possession, desirable to make one wise, position. It's, it's just all there. Genesis to Revelation. And once you see it, you go, there it is. There it is. And we simply want to keep ourselves, as, as Jude would say, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in the love of God. Well, let's look at the three tests Satan brought, has brought to Jesus. The first test of passion is verses 3 and 4. The devil said to him, "If Now that word if means since. Since you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Each time Satan tempts Jesus, Jesus responds by quoting the word. And essentially, the word of God is our protection. But more than just some like magic shield, like if you say the words, you are saying to yourself, no, I choose to live this way. I see that temptation and you just say in yourself, in your mind, no, I'm gonna do this instead the safety, and the protection of the word of God. Essentially, the temptation is designed to get Jesus, as we know, to put his physical needs above his spiritual needs. Not that that he shouldn't eat and will eat, but to put that first isn't going to serve him well. What's interesting is that Jesus is, in quoting that scripture, he's quoting Moses. Did you know that? It was at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness, after God has sustained and provided for the children of Israel for 40 years by the manna, which fell on the ground each morning, the people would gather and and bake into cakes And Moses said to the children of Israel at the end of 40 years, I want you to know this. You did not live these 40 years in the wilderness purely by the bread which God provided for you. The way in which you were sustained and protected through the fears and the dangers was because you trusted God. You believed in the word of God, because what happens when you don't believe God's word? Frankly, your brain freaks out and your emotions freak out and you're tempted to go off and do anything to get out of the panic that you're in. Have you ever been in that situation? I have. So the very way I am able to get through the desert places is by believing God's word. When, when God says, I'm with you, I will provide for you. I know that you're panicked that you're going to be here forever, but you're not. I have prepared a place for you. I think of even as I just said those words, that's John 14. Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Don't panic. In the Greek, he says, don't freak out. You're supposed to laugh when I make jokes, okay? I know I'm new here, but we have some ground rules. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's amazing how bread or some other physical gratification is just such an escape from panic, but we know that it's temporary and really is not the peace of God that we want. The second test, possession, verses 5 through 8. Then the devil, taking up on a, him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me. Just note that line. That is a fascinating thing that, that Satan is saying to Jesus. That the kingdoms of the world were delivered unto me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Satan is declaring that the kingdoms of the world are his. When were they delivered to him? In the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. Because you see, God made the world and gave it to Adam and Eve and said, you Occupy, you exercise dominion over it. It was a wedding gift, if you would. And when they sinned, they lost possession of it. It defaulted to Satan. And when, when Jesus or Paul called, called Satan the God of this world or the ruler of this world, and when Satan says to Jesus, they're mine and I can give them to whomever I choose, notice that Jesus didn't correct Satan. Satan. Now, why did Jesus come into this world? It was to redeem. You know, the word redeems means to buy back something that was lost. And all over Old Testament history in the Old Testament, land, like in many cultures, would pass in the family from generation to generation. But if if a family had to sell a piece of land because of debt or some other crisis, eventually there would be a time where that land could be bought back and brought back into the family or redeemed. It's all spelled out in Old Testament law. And you know, in Revelation, in chapters 4 and 5, I think, when it talks about there was no one worthy to take the scroll and to loose its seals... Do you know what that scroll is? It's the title deed to the earth. And that whole phrase and that picture of a scroll sealed and someone takes possession of it and opens it, that picture and that whole, that is exactly how it works to buy and a deed written up for a piece of land. I can go into it in in more detail another time but that is a jewish picture out of the old testament and john is saying who is going to redeem the world which has been lost is there anyone no one is found worthy and in the old testament is the kinsman redeemer the kinsman redeemer essentially jesus was the one worthy Or, we would say, has the worth, can pay the price, which he did on the cross, to buy back the land which was lost. It's a land transaction. And in buying the land, he gets the people who live on the land, which is the church. The treasure hidden in a field. One of those parables in Matthew's gospel. It's fascinating. We are the treasure the man sold everything for to redeem. That's you. You are the treasure hidden in the field. Now Satan knows all of this. It's all spelled out in in the scriptures. And Satan is saying to Jesus, you know, You can redeem the kingdoms of the world without going to the cross. You don't have to suffer and die on the cross. They belong to me and I can just give them to you. But that wouldn't really redeem us out of the world. It's a trick. And by Jesus rejecting that temptation to avoid the cross, you realize he is committing to dying a horrible death on the cross. That was the price that had to be paid. His shed blood to redeem your life from the eternal sentence of separation from God. The third test, position, verses 9 through 12. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If or since you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it has been said, you shall not tempt or test the Lord your God. Again, this Simply, the third test is the same as the others. Just Jesus, choose to act outside of your father's will. And it's that test for you and I. Act outside of your father's will. It's fascinating that Satan knows God's word and is quoting it. Did you know Satan quoted scripture? To Eve in the garden, has God said, but he always quotes it, leaves out something and adds something. That's always the pattern. He quotes it, deletes something and adds a little bit of his own. Be careful when you hear a Bible teacher leave out parts of God's word, distort it, add a little bit here And there's always a little truth in a little bit of lie. There's always a little truth hidden in the lie. That's why it seems to make sense. The lesson is, should I put myself in harm's way and just kind of demand or expect that God protects me? How about the saying, whatever doesn't kill you, How does it finish? Only makes you stronger. I hate that. There are a lot of things that are not good for me that won't kill me. And we almost excuse it. Well, God will protect me. God will bring me through it. It's it's just kind of used as this modern day justification for throwing yourself off the pinnacle and, you know, God's going to take care of me. God's grace is so sufficient. How about God loves you so much he told you not to do that? God loves you enough to tell you ahead of time not to marry that person or not to spend money that way or not to do this thing. If you're not sure the decision, search God's word, ask for wise counsel, pray about it. And, and still, of course, God is protecting us, even in decisions we're not sure about. Even this week, as I wrote an offer on that house, I'm saying, Lord, is this the house? If this is not the right house, God, would you just close the door, literally? And so, of course, God is protecting us, but that's not an excuse to just be reckless. We don't need to be reckless. We need to be cautious. Verse 13, now when the devil had ended every temptation, from, he departed from him until an appointed time. What's that appointed time? Satan has more business to do with Judas and the cross. After the temptation, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went throughout all the surrounding regions, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. You and I may never actually be directly tested by Satan but it sure feels like it sometimes. Do you recognize these things in your life? In your story is different, but you and I are tested uh, weekly in areas of our physical passions are, are the, the, the possessions that we think here's Christmas. I have in my briefcase. I thought it was so funny. Um, uh, My wife, sitting back there, gave to one of our grandkids, uh, I think, did you give it to Noah? How old is Noah? Six? Six years old. My little six-year-old Noah um, gave him a, a Target flyer catalog that came in the mail and said, here, Noah, why don't you circle the things that you would like for Christmas? He get, well, that's dangerous. He gave it back to my wife and had literally circled everything on the pages, not just one page, but each page, everything. Well, that's crazy. The lust of the eyes. (laughs) My desire for this church is that we experience the power of God. I don't, you know, as some seasoned, experienced pastor of 30 years, I don't have this formula for church growth. Did you know that? There isn't one. I don't have some scheme. We're not going to put the fundraising thermometer on the wall although we do need to pray for the Lord's provision financially. But above the practical needs of volunteers or finances or whatever it is, there's always needs. Every church has needs. Although all those things are irrelevant if we are not experiencing the power of God. There's really no reason to be here if God isn't working. Amen? And so here's the deal. While we're excited about that, do you realize we're going to be tested? You will not experience the power of God without being tested. Just like Jesus. Jesus is showing you what it's like. And each, each day this week, you're going to be tested in some area of your life. Do you want this or this? And in things that, you know, some of those tests are not life-changing, highly spiritual things, but you are choosing all the time whether you want to be in the Lord's will or do your own thing. And of course, now I can see you better. You can be a Christian and you might say, well, do I have to choose everything exactly right to be a Christian? No, you don't. And we're not going to get caught up in this legalistic, you know, checklist of, did you choose the right thing? Did you do this? God loves you. The question is whether you are keeping yourself in the love of God so that he can do the things in your life he wants to do. You're not going to lose your salvation because you just made a couple of wonky choices. God loves you but what I'm talking about is is God using you are you saying God here I am and we will all struggle with those choices at different times and you're allowed to struggle that's just that's the course we're on but here's what I know the changes that probably need to happen in your lives will happen because you yield your life to the power of God. The very things in your life that you could never change and you say, well, I want to be used, but I can't, I can't change this area of my life. Do you know that God knows that? And in fact, the changes happen as a result of you yielding your life to the Holy Spirit, not You don't get the power of God because you cleaned up your act. If that were the case, none of us would ever get there. So you don't need to stress out and perform for God or for the church or anybody else. You just humbly be honest before the Lord and say, Lord, like Peter, Lord, I I believe, help my unbelief. And the amazing thing that happens when you just stop trying to perform and put on and just yield your life to the Lord, that he fills you with the spirit. And you begin to see those changes in your life that happen so easily and so naturally And you don't ever see Jesus going from town to town, striving about the ministry. There was an ease about his ministry. And what I desire is for you to know that peace, for our church to experience that power, and for the word of that work of God to be heard in Albany. Yes. That's all. That's my marketing plan, Okay. is for God to work in your life and for it to be heard in our community. That's it. And if we don't see that happen, then we're just having church. And so my heart's desire every time we get together is that I can share with you accurately, rightly of the word of God, To say what Jesus said. Do you know what verbatim means? It means to say something just as it was said. That's my job. God, what did you say? Let me just say it as you said it and not distort it, not rewrite it. Do you know the word verbatim has a second meaning? It means to make an exact copy of something like to copy a piece of furniture and make it an exact duplicate. And you know, I like both of those definitions because if we are accurately studying and saying what Jesus said, then what's going to happen? We're going to become copies of Jesus. So I want you to understand that that's the meaning of what we're saying verbatim church. Church that we are becoming like Jesus in in each of his words. And that's all I want for you. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And as we close, it's important that we respond. And I believe that while we're worshiping and, and I'm sharing with you this morning, I believe that God is speaking to you. Did that happen? Yeah. Each of you heard something that related to your life. And before you leave here today, you need to respond back to the Lord.